You're listening to sermon audio from First Baptist Church, Van Alstine. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Now here's Pastor Mike. Let's take our Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, We paused from this series for uh, three weeks during the Christmas season. Uh, As we looked at uh, Vintage Christmas, we're now returning to a series that we started back in the fall, back in September, uh, called Hold Firm, Getting a Grip on the Confession of Our Faith. And it's in this series that we've been studying the biblically-based doctrines that guide our faith and practice as expressed, as clarified for us in the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. I want to remind you that the, uh, the foundational text for this series is actually found in Paul's writing to Titus, where uh, there in chapter 1, verse number 9, he said, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Uh, And so thus far, uh, we have looked at Articles 1 through 11 together. We've looked at the Scriptures and God as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We've looked at man. We've looked at salvation, uh, God's purpose of grace. Uh, We've looked at the church, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. We've looked at the Lord's Day, the kingdom, last things, and evangelism and missions. Now, I want to say from the outset of this morning's message, it may seem a little disconnected uh, because as you move through the, the, the latter articles of the Baptist faith and message, uh, it's difficult to kind of mash them together. And I, I don't, hadn't really felt the Holy Spirit leading me to necessarily do a message on each one of these articles. And so today we're going to look actually at Article uh, 12 and Article 13. Um, we're not going to spend a lot of time on Article 12, which is education. Uh, it primarily speaks to theological education. Uh, I do want to say that uh, you may not realize this, but when you give regularly through the, the First Baptist Church Van Alstine budget, which I hope that you've noticed in your bulletin this morning, uh, it states there uh, that in our quarterly business meeting uh, in November of 2017, we approved our budget for 2018, and it gives you the total amount there, $648,000, $558.54. Um, I will point out to you that as a church, we actually gave more than the amount of that budget in calendar year 2017, okay? And so, um, but the point I want to make is when, whenever you give to support the, the budget of our church, you are actually giving to support theological education uh, because a portion of what we give as a church goes through what's called the cooperative program, uh, we can do more together than we could ever do by ourselves. That's the philosophy behind that. Uh, and a portion of that goes to theological education. You may not realize that the Southern Baptist Convention has six seminaries that we support on an ongoing basis. And uh, some of you have, are graduates. You're, you're of, of one of those seminaries. Um, there's New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, yeah, there you go. There's a, there's a graduate right there. Um, and then you got Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, Griff, did, did they hoop or what do they do at Southwestern? I don't know. They don't, something. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. The Bible. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> then you got Southern, you got Southeastern. There's uh, one out on the West Coast. Can you believe that? Yeah, Gateway, Gateway Baptist Theological Seminary. There's Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Jace, our youth pastor, is a graduate of Midwestern. And uh, 
All our seminaries, while, while they are, um, they're all unique in different ways, they all have a very similar purpose, and that is to train men and women for gospel ministry. Uh, not necessarily just to pastor, but to, to lead in various areas of ministry, to go to the mission field. And so uh, with that as kind of a backdrop, I want us to look at Article 12 this morning, Education. It says this, Christianity is the faith of enlightenment and intelligence. In Jesus Christ abide all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All sound learning is therefore a part of our Christian heritage. The new birth opens all human faculties and creates a thirst for knowledge. Moreover, the cause of education in the kingdom of Christ is coordinate with the causes of missions and general benevolence and should receive along with these the liberal support of the churches. An adequate system of Christian education is necessary to a complete spiritual program for Christ's people. And then the second part, second paragraph says this, in Christian education there should be a proper balance between academic freedom and academic responsibility. Freedom in an orderly relationship of human life is always limited and never absolute. The freedom of a teacher in a Christian school, college, or seminary is limited by the preeminence of Jesus Christ, by the authoritative nature of the scriptures, and by the distinct purpose for which the school exists. Um, now, we recognize certainly that there is uh, an aspect of education that is to happen and should be a priority of every local church. If you were in a small group setting this morning studying the Word of God with other people, that is education. Um, but really, this particular article speaks primarily to theological education, okay? Those who would, would, would go to, to seminary, for example, and be trained for the work of ministry. But we recognize that those seminaries exist for the church. In fact, Midwestern Seminary over the last uh, two, three years, four, maybe longer than that even, uh, has, has this new initiative under the uh, direction of their president, Dr. Allen, called For the Church. And they are producing some amazing resources for the church, uh, that, even apart from uh, those that they are sending out after they graduate from that seminary. And so we recognize that those seminaries exist and train individuals for the church, for the work of the kingdom. Now, I do want to make just three really brief statements as it relates to this article uh, to, to just highlight a couple of things. I want you to notice that what is affirmed here is a Christ-centered view of education. Baptists believe that Christian education centers on Christ. That's a good place for a duh. <laughs> Can we say that in church? I mean, it only makes sense, right? If it's Christ-centered education, uh, Christian education, then it would be centered on Christ. And so you'll notice that the first four sentences of this article, which were original to the 1925 document, by the way, for some reason admitted in the 1963 document, gives us a proper theology of education. Now, there's, there's this kind of prevailing attitude out there in the general academic world, uh, in the very secularized, what we would call post-Christian world in which we live, that Christians have somehow checked their brains at the door. That, that if you hold to a, a biblical worldview, if you hold to certain theological truths like the virgin birth, for example, and other things, then you have somehow just checked out mentally. Okay, you're living in a fantasy world. 
Okay, and so what I want you to see from this particular article is that, that we do not advocate an anti-intellectualism. Okay, we think that if you're a growing disciple of Jesus Christ, then you should have a growing desire to learn more about God. You should have a desire to learn his word. One of the marks of a disciple, a true disciple of Jesus Christ, is your desire to learn more of him. Uh, one of the ways that my sweet wife knew that I had an interest in her uh, and we were, uh, that on the 3rd of January, it was 29 years that I, I proposed to her on January the 3rd, 1989. So, but I, I was actively doing some things that sent a very clear message to her, hopefully, that I had an interest in her. I wanted to know more about her. I, I, I wanted to know those things that she was passionate about. And I, so, so if, if you're going to say on one hand that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that will be demonstrated by a desire to know more of him, which means you will have to educate yourself or put yourself in a position where you can be taught. And so uh, that's what we're seeing in this particular article. Remember, Christ commanded his followers to love God with all of their minds. Remember that? So our faith is not just an emotional thing. Okay? I, I struggled up here a few moments ago as we were singing those words with, with getting a little emotional. Okay? But, but our faith is not driven by our emotions. Okay? Sometimes you're not going to feel it. You're just not. There's some days you're going to get up and you're just going to be like, man, I, I just don't. But, but you know what you do? You turn to those things that you know to be true based on the word of God. And so you do that with your mind. Remember, in Scripture, the term enlightenment that, that is found here in this article means revelation. Christianity is a revelatory enlightenment of the mind. So the Bible underscores the life of the mind. We love God with our mind, the renewing of our mind. Paul wrote in the, the, to, to the Romans there in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, be renewed in your mind. Remember that? Uh, in the context of spiritual warfare that's fought within the realm of the mind. Paul challenged Christians to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Uh, that's, that's something that happens in the mind. We are to seek and to cultivate the mind of Christ. Uh, in Jesus Christ, abide all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so it's our belief that education uh, is Christ-centered. Here's a second thing I want to note here. And that is the kingdom vision of education. Remember, the risen Christ commanded the church to teach. It's part of the Great Commission found in Matthew chapter 28. And so, like evangelism and missions, Christ presented the teaching mandate to the local church and to individual believers. Now, on an individual level, on a family level, it's our belief that the, the, the responsibility for educating one's children rests squarely upon the shoulders of the parents. Now, you may partner with uh, local school districts, uh, teachers. You may choose to educate your children at home. You may send your kids to a, a private school of some sort, a, a Christian school, whatever. But, but chiefly, the responsibility for educating your children, the one who will help be held chiefly accountable for that, is you as the parent. Okay, you can't just push that off on somebody else. And any of our educators here this morning can tell you there are plenty of people trying to push all the responsibility for all that off on somebody else. Okay, and it, it's not effective. <laughs> it has to be uh, something that's done within the home. And then notice, too, that this, this article advocates a balance between academic freedom 
and responsibility. Freedom is not an absolute. And as our kids grow older and they grow more responsible, then we, we want to give them more freedom. But with that, we don't give them absolute freedom. I don't know of any responsible parent who would say to a 16-year-old, for example, hey, you know, you've proven yourself responsible. You can just, you get the freedom to do whatever you want. Uh, even the most responsible kids aren't ready for that kind of freedom. And so uh, the same thing is true here as it relates to, to education. Freedom requires some parameters. Uh, and so th- the Baptist faith and message here identifies three limitations uh, to the freedom of a Christian educator. Notice what they are. The preeminence of Jesus, the authoritative nature of Scripture, and the direct or the distinct purpose and mission of the educational institution. And so we want our seminaries, our, our centers of, of higher education, uh, to, to stay focused on what's most important, on kingdom work, on advancing the gospel. And we should hold them accountable to that. Uh, there have been times and seasons where you know, various things were debated as it related to the teaching of certain faculty members and all these various things, and, and those things will continue to come up. Uh, but we want to maintain a unified focus on those things that are most important. And so there you have Article 12. Now, let's give the rest of our attention this morning to Article number 13, that of stewardship. Stewardship. Notice what the article says. God is the source of all blessings, temporal and spiritual, all that we have, all that we are, we owe to him. Christians have a spiritual debtorship to the whole world, a holy trusteeship in the gospel, and a binding stewardship in their possessions. They are therefore under obligation to serve him with their time, talents, and material possessions, and should recognize all these as entrusted to them for the, for, to use for the glory of God and helping others. According to the scriptures, Christians should contribute of their means, these next few words are very important, cheerfully, regularly, systematically, proportionately, and liberally for the advancement of the Redeemer's cause on earth. The subject of stewardship is one of those doctrines that is a matter of practical theology. I hope that you know by now, as we've been in this series of messages over the course of several weeks, that that we're not just making some sort of an effort here to come to a better head knowledge of some of these things. We want to put it into practice. So it's not enough to simply say that we believe such and such. How, How do we demonstrate that we truly believe that in what we practice? So it's not enough to simply say this morning that we believe the scriptures are authoritative if we never read the scriptures. And this is one of those areas that becomes very, very practical. It's very, I'm going to suggest it's easy, but but you can see uh, how important it is that you actually put into practice what you say you believe. Now, churches aren't always attentive to the message of stewardship, but it's vitally important in the life of the church. And in the life of of who we are in relating to God, one of the reasons that I pointed out the budget in the budget total there is because if you are a part of the First Baptist family, if you are primarily being spiritually fed here, this is where you're being spiritually nourished. Uh, This is your church family, your church home, whether you are officially a member or not, then I would hope that you understand the importance of supporting that budget. There are a lot of things that are done 
through that budget. Like, it's kind of nice that we have some electricity here this morning, isn't it? It's kind of a nice thing. That's part of the budget. Um, I do like to eat occasionally. And by the grace of God, I have the joy and privilege of serving in vocational ministry. Sometimes it blows my mind that I actually get paid to do what I do. Um, my family likes to eat as well. And so that's part of the budget. Uh, my family and I, we're very grateful that the church allows for us to have uh, some insurance coverage. That's part of the budget. Um, we believe very strongly in discipleship. That's part of the budget. It takes resources to do discipleship. We believe very strongly in senior adult ministry and, and, and children's ministry and student ministry. and all. That's all part of the budget. Uh, and so I would hope and pray that you see that as a part of your responsibility as a part of the First Baptist family to support that budget. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to look at the, a very practical expression of stewardship in the life of the church. And Paul deals with that issue here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So let's pick it up in verse number 6. And we'll read down through the end of chapter 9 verse number, to verse number 15. He says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That's called the law of the harvest. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Then he says, as it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You continue to see this, this, this talk about sowing and reaping and a harvest. And This says in verse number 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Now what we've done here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is we've kind of jumped into the middle of a discussion uh, that Paul is having or is writing to the Corinthians about an offering that had been prearranged and the offering that he was planning to collect from them uh, as they were helping out those in need. And so Paul says that I thought it necessary to urge you to go ahead and, and receive this collection so that when the time comes for us to, to come and receive it, you won't in any way be embarrassed because you haven't taken care of your business. You haven't taken care of what you've committed to do. So go ahead and make preparations for that. And he is writing to them to remind them of their commitment. Okay, that which they've determined to do. And to remind them of, of what they had promised. But then in verse 6, he, he kind of turns to more of, a, of an application of this issue of giving and of stewardship. Let me give you a good solid definition for the word stewardship. Uh, it's not a word that we use uh, a lot today in our, in our modern vernacular, okay? 
Uh, but it's a very biblical term, very biblical concept. Stewardship uh, can be defined as this, as utilizing and managing all God-given resources for the glory of God and the betterment of his creation. Stewardship is utilizing and managing all God-given resources for the glory of God and the betterment of his creation. This idea of stewardship, okay, uh, it's, it's a word that comes from really two words put together. Okay? It means house manager, oikonomos. It's the word from which we get our word economy. Okay? And so if you were a steward, then you were a house manager. You were to manage that which really belongs to someone else. That's the idea. So, so really and truly, stewardship is most importantly a matter of ownership. And I know we in our especially in our Western world way of thinking, in our very materialistic society, we think that the idea is to get all you can and can all you get and keep it for yourself, right? I mean, that's kind of the idea. And, and people, uh, our, our success uh, is, 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 um, is determined by how much we've accumulated, okay? If you've accumulated lots of stuff, then you must be successful, but well, that's not necessarily the case from a biblical perspective. And so uh, we first have to understand and know that everything we have, everything that we call our own, whatever you've got in your retirement fund or your 401k or your Roth IRA, wherever you have your investment, some of you are like, what is that? Like, we're just like trying to pay the light bill this month. I mean, I understand. Trust me. I, I fully understand. Um, I, 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 I don't have a whole lot of a retirement portfolio to show you this morning, Okay. Uh, just so I'm, I'm right there with you. But, but anything that we would call our own, whatever you've got in your checking account right now, maybe you've got a little savings account, whatever your assets are, none of that really belongs to you. You wouldn't have it if it weren't for God. <laughs> it all really belongs to him. Okay, and we've got to understand that as it relates to stewardship. And so st stewardship permeates the pages of Scripture because how we respond to God in relationship, how we respond to God's expression of himself is at the very heart of Scripture. God's desire is that as human beings, we relate to him, we respond to him in a positive way. So here's, a, here's an important truth as it relates to stewardship that I want you to see this morning. Stewardship is a matter of the heart, not just a matter of the wallet. So often when we think of stewardship, we immediately think of, of our finances, money. But that's just a part of it. That, that's just a piece of the pie, we might say. Okay, Stewardship involves so much more. Um, so often uh, we just think in terms of, of our finances. And when we understand biblical stewardship, the Bible teaches that it is a far bigger concept involving how we respond to and how we relate to God, who is the giver, who is the provider, who is the sustainer of all of life. So financial giving is just one aspect of a total stewardship responsibility that comes uh, because as God's created beings, he made us to have dominion or to be stewards of his created world, for example. We're to steward what God has given us in terms of this world in which we live. Okay, We're not to be wasteful people. Uh, we're, we're to be wise stewards of what God's given us. It also teaches, uh, more importantly, uh, and as a matter of priority, that we are managers w with the mission and the purpose of the gospel. 
You see, when we come to the New Testament, the issue of stewardship is fully intact. But with even more responsibility. Because it's not only the creation and the resources that God has provided to us to live uh, as ma- of that which we manage and steward, but the Bible also teaches us that we are stewards or managers of the mission and the purpose of the gospel. So don't ever think of the gospel as something that you partook of at one point in your life. You got your salvation, and then you somehow put it back on the shelf of the pantry where, where it's been left ever since. No, you are a steward of the gospel. If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's part of your stewardship. What are you doing with the gospel that transformed your life? How are you sharing that with others? How irresponsible to have the greatest news ever known to man and you're doing nothing with it. You're never sharing that with others. You're in no way contributing to the advancement of the gospel through missions, through giving, going, sending, all those things that we often talk about. That's a big part of our stewardship. Paul said it very well in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. And that's where he goes on to say, it is required in stewards that one be found trustworthy, be found faithful. So Jesus is not simply satisfied with a slice of the pie of our obedience. We, we tend to compartmentalize our lives. We tend to say, okay, Lord, I'll I'll give you complete control of this area of my life, but I want to retain control, at least some control of this area of my life. I want some say in what happens with my money. So I'm not going to completely surrender this area of my life to you. I I want us to be co-owners. How about that? God's not interested in being somehow, you know, riding shotgun with you or, you know, being your, you know... No, God wants control of it all. That's what biblical stewardship is all about. That's the foundation of it. So here's some things I want you to notice from the text that we've just looked at here in 2 Corinthians. Notice, first of all, that biblical stewardship has a definite plan. Has a definite plan. I've got a pretty good suspicion that everybody who's here this morning, probably not many of you, if any, of you got up this morning and you're sitting there drinking your coffee, watching cartoons or whatever you might do as part of your morning routine, and you just kind of went, hey, we got to go to church. What do you think, huh? I mean, you, you, you're probably not here like kind of on accident or just showed up haphazardly. It may be true for some of you, but for most of us, that's not the case. No, we're here this morning because we purposed to be here. Uh, I think it's Jack Graham who I heard recently say, hey, being in worship regularly on Sunday is really a Saturday decision. It's something that you determine to do, that you make preparations for, because it's a priority in your life. Well, the same is true in our giving. Now, I've done some haphazard giving in my day, okay? And we're especially mindful of this during this time of year, because we've just come through the Christmas season, and how many of you, a part of your Christmas is hearing the bells ringing at Target or Walmart or whatever, right? Ding, 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 right? Okay, I can't think of a time in my life that I ever thought, babe, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drive down to Target so that I can give to the Salvation Army. I, I haven't done that. I have, however, gotten out of my car at Target or whatever else, and as I'm walking into the store, I hear that bell ring, and I'm going, oh, yeah, I got a little change. I'll drop it in the, in the kettle. It's kind of haphazard. Do you realize that that's how some followers of Christ take care of their stewardship, their financial giving? Well, it's end of the month, and I guess we can afford to throw a 20 in the plate. 
If we have a little bit left over next month, we might give that too. There's no, there's, there's no intentionality behind that. There's no purpose behind that. There's no planning in that. But we see here that these people had a definite plan. And that involves a commitment of the heart. Again, stewardship is more a matter of the heart than it is a matter of the wallet. It's a matter of the heart. How committed are you to supporting God's work financially? Now you may say, but pastor, we don't have much. That's not the issue. (laughs) That's not the issue here. Why do you suppose that Jesus pointed out the widow who gave the mite? And the people who were there, as he's he's trying to teach this important lesson, they're like, she hasn't given anything compared to what some of these people will give. That's not the point. Jesus said, oh, no, those people give out of their abundance. She has given out of her poverty. So it's not equal gifts. It's equal sacrifice. And the, the bottom line truth is this. Few of us, few of us know what it truly is to sacrifice. The Bible says it's something that you purpose to do. You determine to do. You do it with regularity. It's a part of your plan, your stewardship plan as an individual, as a family. It also should be characterized by generosity. Notice according to the law of the harvest here in verse number 6, so he's, he's given us, he's given, given these Corinthians this, you know, this, some instruction about this offering. But then he says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly, okay, will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And most of you are aware that I spent some of my seminary days working on a dairy farm in northwestern Pennsylvania. And not only did we milk cows, but we, we raised their food. Okay, and so every spring we were planting, right? Do you suppose that my boss ever at any point said, hey, Mike, how about you take a little can of that seed and walk out on that 10 acres and just kind of throw it around? And we're going to hope for an amazing harvest. That would have been ridiculous. No, no, no. We're going to get out this massive planter that has multiple bins on it, and it's going to dig up the earth, and we're going to put hundreds of pounds of seed in that planter, and we're going to go, sure enough, plant that 10 acres, and we're going to expect a bountiful harvest because we have sown bountifully. Okay? Now, this is not suggesting that we give in order to get. Okay? That's not the point here. You'll hear prosperity preachers today say, well, if you'll just, you know, send in a seed offering, then, you you know, you can expect a windfall of cash in the next 30 days and all this kind of stuff. That's a bunch of malarkey is what that is. Okay, that, that's, not what, that's not what Scripture teaches us here. No, in fact, we give, actually, if our motivation is right, so that we can get more in order to give. That's the idea. That's how it works. Okay, so it should be marked by, characterized by generosity. I read a little story the other day that I thought was funny. This guy had uh, he'd not been wealthy. Most of his younger years, particularly, he was just struggling to get by. Like, like a lot of folks, uh, his tithe was maybe $10 a week, something like that. But he worked hard, and he saved, and he invested, and he was eventually able to build a business that became quite prosperous to the point that his tithe became in excess of $500 a week. And he, he, he kind of reached his place, and he went to his pastor, and he said, man, I, I just don't think I can continue to afford giving like this to the church. He said, I know, you know, I, I made a commitment and this and that, but I, I just don't know if I can afford that. And the pastor said, well, there's no way that I can encourage you to you know, to, to back off that commitment to God. But what I can do is I can pray that God will bring your income level back down to where you would only have to tithe $10 a week. 
<laughs> See, the simple truth is, most of us are not trying to determine ways that we can be more generous. Now, some of you, by the grace of God, have the gift of giving. I used to think years ago that only wealthy people had the gift of giving. That's not true. Man, I have learned, if I've learned anything over the last 30 years of ministry, those who have the gift of giving are, in fact, quite often not wealthy by the world's standards. But they are generous. They are generous. It should be one of the characteristics of our stewardship. Also, you'll notice here that one of the characteristics of our stewardship is cheerfulness. All right? So you, check this out. You can give a lot of money, but do it with the wrong attitude with the wrong motivation. I think I shared in the early service that um, I've always been intrigued. Uh, there was a guy in one of the first churches that I pastored. Um, instead of giving through normal means, like through the offering, or you know, now we, we give you the opportunity to give online and the, those kind of things, what we would consider the normal means for giving. Instead of doing that, he would come into my office like every Monday morning, and he would throw his offering envelope on my desk. And I'm like... Why does he do that? Because I've made it clear, and it's been true in every church I've served, every church I've pastored, I don't know what anybody's giving is. I don't go look at all that. So I have no clue what any of you give. Okay? And I don't, I don't need to know that. That's between you and God. But I was just like, what, what did, the only thing I could think of, and it became quite apparent over, over time, that this was like a power move. It was like, I want you to see how much I'm giving because there are strings attached to this. Okay, God's not going to honor that. I don't care how much it is. If you give with strings attached or like you should receive some sort of special, or you should you know, maintain a position of power because God doesn't desire that we use the resources he has entrusted to us in a manipulatory sort of way. Okay, God, God's not going to honor that. So we should give cheerfully. Now the word that's, that's used here in the original language is actually the word from which we get our word hilarious. I like to laugh, y'all. I, 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 I think laughing is good. And I find some things hilarious. But in all honesty, I can't think of a time that I thought, yes, <laughs> we get to give again this month. <laughs> that is so funny. It's amazing. Few of us view it that way, do we? In fact, some of the time we're going, you know what we could be doing with this? We could be paying off that dental bill. You know what we could do with this? College tuition, it's high. Are you a cheerful giver? Do, do, you, rejoice, do you find joy in being able to return just, just a portion of what God has entrusted to you? Be cheerful in your giving. Biblical stewardship not only has a definite plan, but I want you to notice this. It has a defined purpose. And we see it here in, in the text that we've looked at. It's the idea of sowing and reaping. It's called the law of the harvest. Okay, so you, you plant, you sow seed. Okay, and they, it doesn't have to just be your finances. It can be a, an investment of your time. Okay, and, and, and what you find is God will honor that and enable you then to even do more. Okay, it's, it's the law of sowing and reaping. Okay, God is the one who provides the seed to begin with. And he says, I will take and I will multiply that seed and enable you to do more then. It's, it's sowing and reaping. Also, it makes it clear here that it's for the supplying of needs. Whenever you give, 
A portion of what you give is used to supply needs. There are benevolence needs in our community that are met through those resources. Uh, whenever you invest your time in, in caring for someone, that's an investment in that individual. It's meeting needs. Okay? But we have to make it a priority. It's not going to happen just haphazardly or on accident. It has a defined purpose. And then finally, I want you to notice this. I love this. Biblical stewardship has definitive results. I want you to notice here from the text that it makes it clear God supplies the seed that we sow. So God is not asking us to supply the seed. He's already done that. God is not asking us to supply the resources. He is giving those to us, entrusting those to us, so that when we utilize them for his glory, the results are that our good works abound. One of the ways that you demonstrate your faith in Jesus Christ is in your stewardship. That's why we often say you can tell a lot about a person by looking at their checkbook and by looking at their calendar. How do they invest their time and how do they invest their monetary resources? The priorities that you set in your life say a whole lot about where you are in your walk with the Lord. So good works abound. Our faith is proven. Our faith is proven. Now, I'll be honest with you. There have been times through the years that this whole idea of biblical stewardship has not made a lick of sense. There were times for us, like, like most of you in our almost now 29 years of marriage, that it did not make sense. We were struggling to live on 100% of our income. And then you throw in this whole idea of a tithe, which means the tenth. And, and you're thinking, if we're barely making it on 100% of our income, how in the world can we make it now on 90% of our income? And sometimes I couldn't tell you how it, how it happened. But I will guarantee you this. God has always, always, always been faithful to meet our needs. Do I look like I've missed a meal to you? God's word says his children aren't going to go hungry. No, it, it, sometimes it won't make sense to you. There were times like some you, I, man, we need new tires. The washer's broken. The this, that. I mean, we, we got all these. Make your giving a priority, not just financially, but of your time. Few of us are looking for something to do, right? I know I'm not. But how are you investing your time for God's glory and his kingdom? And here, most importantly, According to verse number 13, God is glorified. When we practice biblical stewardship, okay, we're not going to care that we get any, quote, glory for that. No, ultimately, God will be glorified because we're practicing biblical stewardship. God will be glorified. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church Van Alstine. FBCVA is located at 121 East Marshall Street in Van Alstine, Texas, or you can visit us online at www.fbcva.com. Be sure to visit the Sermon Archive for more messages from this and other series.